Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Biden and COVID progress. Dr. Simone Gold joins me to talk about civil liberties and COVID policy and Cuomo and Newsom and the wrath of the voters. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's first five. President Biden or candidate Biden promised when he was running that we were America was finally going to have the effective, wonderful COVID policy. A lot of the Democrats campaigned during the 2020 election cycle related to criticisms of how President Trump handled the COVID policy and how he and the Democrats would ride in on a white horse and save everything. So here we are, 31 days after the inauguration or so, and we have in America basically no change of any kind with respect to policy that supposedly President Biden was going to save us from. As a matter of fact, I thought about playing the video again. I decided not to dig it up, but you may recall when the um, powers that be finally announced that Joe Biden was President Biden, there was a little clip with Senator Schumer being interviewed on the streets of New York, and it was practically a euphoric, thank goodness, thank God, we'll finally have someone who really understands policy, and we're gonna get on top of this situation, and they haven't gotten on top of anything. But I do wanna talk about some of those things they promised very quickly and then turn to a comment that was made, a recent uh, statement made by the CDC doctor appointed, the head of the CDC appointed by President Biden, a woman doctor named Dr. Walensky. But first, as to the alleged brilliance of the Biden team saving us all from COVID, let me just make a few points. Uh, Number one, uh, they promise all sorts of relief. Now, you know where we are right now is that all the money that has gone out to the American people so far for COVID relief came under the Trump administration. And actually, to be clear, there are, there's approximately a trillion dollars still not dispensed, but that's a whole other story for another day. But the Biden team had, and the Democrat majorities, the Democrat leadership in Washington, House and Senate had a lot of time to think about, you know, what are we gonna do? We're gonna pounce on this. We're gonna get relief to these families. They would not go along with what President Trump was offering, which was a healthy payment to every family suffering from because of COVID. I think it was under some income level, but the point was basically everyone who needed money would get it. Democrats wouldn't go along with that. Not okay with them. Well, now here we are over 31 days into the Biden administration, and there's going to be a vote on Friday of this week on a massive bill, massive bill that has very little to do with COVID much more to do with Democrat pet projects, and finally, a little tiny bit of money to the team, uh, to people in America who need it. But in addition to this, let's take a temperature and see this COVID progress that Biden supposedly caused. Um, We haven't had changes in policies um, that in any way free up America that stop this kind of shut down the country. A continuation of masks urged slash required or people being told it's the only way to handle this, double masking now being talked about. What the Democrats have done is created a bunch of boards. They have a new COVID board. This is the Biden team, a COVID board, a COVID task force, a COVID plan. And when last week President Biden was in his CNN town hall and some poor guy who owns a brewery in Wisconsin was saying, when are you going to finally lift all of this. Uh, we need to get back to work. We need, I want to keep my employees employed, blah, blah, blah. The president's answer was, hey, give your email address to my staff over there. We'll, we'll send you our plan, which is basically the guy doesn't want a plan in the email. He wants freedom from COVID restrictions. So we have that all going on. And at the end of the day, I, what I want to talk about this is that I just want to point out the fallacy in the media. There's such a, an ability of the media to generate excitement among people who look at emotion instead of facts when assessing politics. So they're told, don't worry, Mr. Competent is arriving. Everything is gonna be fine. You know, everything that happened under COVID was all President Trump's fault, but here we are, the team has arrived to save the day. And honestly, nothing has happened. 
We'll talk in just a moment with Dr. Simone Gold about the alleged drop. It is a drop uh, in COVID cases. This is not due to anything that you had that came out of the president, uh, President Biden's team. As a matter of fact, Kamala, they have had vaccine distribution, uh, which could cut either way. But Kamala Harris tried very briefly to take credit for that as though their team, the Biden-Harris team, had come up with a vaccine plan and had actually done got that going. That actually, she quickly got shot down by the media, said, no, actually, Trump already had that in place. Nice try. But to close out the first five, I want to play a clip I sent to Matt the Wonderful. And he is a wonderful producer. This is the woman who is now the CDC director appointed by President Biden named Dr. Walensky. Look at this lady and listen to her. Right. <laughs> I've done okay so far. My name is Rochelle Walensky and I am the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. How do we get this pandemic under control? We have to mask, we have to socially distance, we have to wash our hands, we have to avoid crowds, avoid travel, and then we have to get vaccinated when we can. Explain the COVID mutations and how we stop them. So when viruses mutate, they can make mistakes when they replicate. And when they replicate and, and make mistakes, sometimes they have some advantage to the virus. So the new variants are just like the old variants in terms of the disease. However, they may be less forgiving. So if there was a mask breach before that might not have caused disease, it might this time. So we just have to do the exact same things. If someone has had COVID-19, should they still get the vaccination? It's likely if you've had COVID-19 before, you still have some immune protection up to at least about 90 days. So yes, you're eligible for vaccination, but we might ask that you consider waiting so that others who don't have any immunity could get vaccinated before you. Will we need to retake the vaccine every so often? We don't have data on that yet. The vaccine trials are looking out to two years. Um, and so those data will be forthcoming. And as soon as we have them, we'll let the public know. Are we on track to administer 100 million shots in the first 100 days? We we are absolutely on track. We have been working really hard. At day 100, we're not done. We still have 200 million more Americans that we need to get vaccinated and that track record will continue. What's the biggest COVID-19 myth that you would like to get rid of right now? That masking doesn't work. Okay, awesome. That was fun. Okay. In closing out today's first five, I just want to say, I think that was girlishly giggly, so chipper, upbeat, everything's cool, got it under control. It was designed, it was a video made, designed to convey the message of we're cool, we got it under control. But it's actually a very dark message, a very dark message of how long we'll have to keep ma covering ourselves up with masks, you know, avoiding travel, avoiding social contact, avoiding normal life. Uh, and at the end of the day, her closing shot was, of course, you know, that masks work. So wrapping up the first five, I'll say, I do not think that people who voted for Biden because they thought he would do a better job related to handling the COVID situation in America ought to be jumping up and down and trying to claim that somehow he's done that. This is simply not the case. We're dealing with a virus and nothing that has happened under the current, the new administration has really changed much of anything. And that my very fine friends, it's today's first five. I mentioned at the start of the show, we have I'm so excited. We have Dr. Simone Gold joining us. I'll give you the quickest of bio about her. She is, first of all, the author of this book, I Do Not Consent, uh, which you can order. Uh, it is her book talking about not consenting. Well, let her tell you more about it. But she, Dr. Simone Gold, is the founder of America's Frontline Doctors. And that was, if you recall, the picture of doctors lined up in their white coats on the steps. I don't know if it's the capital of the Supreme Court, but lined up on the steps. Uh, talking about essentially that we had in America uh, did not need to engage in the policies we had engaged in in order to fight COVID. It was called the white, it was the Supreme Court Steps White Coat Summit. And, and basically they've done two of those in which they basically bring doctors out to talk to the American people, kind of talk over the media, who's trying to just send out the left-wing message about fear and suppression and danger, trying to talk to America about truth about COVID, truth about uh, treatments available for COVID, truth about the vaccines and a whole bunch of other things. So the, the group they formed, America, America's Frontline Doctors, also has a new document out, which is why I've asked Dr. Gold to join me today. It's called America's Frontline Doctors AFLDS White Paper, Civil Liberties Surrounding Medical Experimentation. Great thing to read and know about. And without further ado, I wanna welcome Dr. Simone Gold. Good morning or good afternoon, I should say. Nice to be here. So glad you could be here. Thank you so very much, Dr. Gold. You have just been a, a leader in the nation and among doctors, and there are more and more doctors speaking up, but you've been a leader early on in the nation. 
raising the alarm bell about whether or not the policies our country embraced to respond to COVID were necessary, were the best policies, were really effective at actually helping Americans. So appreciate that so much. I also want to ask you before we dive into this white paper, your website, America's Frontline Doctors, has so much information. And I want you just to be able to tell our listeners a little bit about what is there, even though you've done that in the past, what is there? Because it's a great resource. Thank you so much. We set up America's Frontline Doctors to bring truth to the American people because there's so much disinformation. The first order of business we tackled was creating a mechanism for human beings to be able to purchase a life-saving medication, hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. You can consult with a telemedicine physician and obtain that. Um, and the medicine is mailed to you. Beyond that, we've done a lot of position papers, a lot of videos just to explain what's going on and what works and what doesn't work. Everything's well-referenced, cited. You know, we talk about lockdowns, we talk about masks, we talk about early treatments, and more recently, we're talking about the civil liberties aspects of mandatory vaccinations, which makes us very, very concerned because you know, your listeners may not recall that I'm also an attorney like yourself, and I'm highly concerned, as are most of my peers, about the concept of mandating experimental anything, which is something that's been outlawed since the 1940s during the time of the Nuremberg trials. So we, we find what's going on to be very scary. I'm going to get into all of that. And I love that you wrote this. I love that you're, you're using actually Supreme Court precedents and understanding the law to talk about how we deal with COVID. But back to the little clip we played of Dr. Walensky, who is now heading up the CDC, who just said her, any, any parting shot, she could have said anything at all, you know, and she said, masks work. And again, you've done it in the show before, but tell us your thoughts about the efficacy of masks in helping to prevent the spread of COVID. You know, I wrote that little book that you showed, I Do Not Consent, specifically because I wanted people to be able to recognize propaganda in real time. And what you just heard there was an example of propaganda in real time. People would ask me, how do I know? I'm not a doctor. How can I recognize propaganda in real time? One of the ways you know is to look at the data that existed prior to the political the political situation that you're trying to discern the truth. So if the question is if masks work, was there data on the efficacy of masks against viruses prior to March 2020? And the answer is, of course there was. There was actually decades of data on surgical masks preventing or not preventing viruses. And the answer is 100% known. Surgical masks do not prevent the transmission of viruses. Hard stop, end of discussion. It's not a debate, it's not an opinion, it's an absolute certainty. Fauci himself said to himself last spring, it doesn't work. So I find when I hear statements like that, it's, it's funny to me, but it's so tragic because how is the average person supposed to know that without doing their own research? I'm sorry to tell everybody, you have to do your own research. Look for information that existed on the ground prior to the alleged controversy. In the case of masks, there are decades of data showing that masks do not work prior to March 2020. That's what you need to believe. Actually, that research is also referenced on your website, America's Correct. Frontline Doctors. And if you don't want to go Googling and looking up at great length, go to their website and read about this because it, 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 what you're saying, I believe, obviously, is your expertise as a doctor, but it's just common sense. The efficacy of masks did not change whatever they've studied up until the introduction of COVID into the world last year, the efficacy of masks didn't change. I mean, whatever was true then is true now. So let me just a little bit devil's advocate. So what about two masks? Because now Fauci is saying, well, maybe two masks. Any, any difference there? Right. So no, there's no difference. And one way you can know this is that the size of the virus is 0.1 micron. And the size of the pores in the surgical mask is 200 to 1,000 times greater than that. It's like throwing sand at a chain link fence and hoping that the chain link fence will keep out the sand. It'll keep out a few grains of sand, but the vast majority of the sand will get through. How does that compare to COVID? If you happen to have COVID and you're exhaling and, and, and coughing and breathing all over everybody, that's and right next to somebody, that's gonna go right through their mask, it's gonna go right through your mask, that's it. So what is the solution? The solution is to be healthy beforehand, have a good, strong immune system. The solution is for the person with COVID not to get very sick by being on early treatment or prophylactic treatment. The mask is simply irrelevant. Okay, and the early prophylactic treatment you've talked, we've talked in the past about hydroxychloroquine, other doctors in the show have as well. Is that the only medication you would, or are there others that are now you're aware of that are effective yes. early prophylactic so treatments? 
I, I, what, I spoke a lot about hydroxychloroquine, but I've always known that ivermectin worked, as did my peers. We simply didn't talk about it because the media was so busy demonizing hydroxychloroquine. We didn't want them to do that to ivermectin. So we would write ivermectin and that prescription would slip through unnoticed to the pharmacists. But when the media started reporting on our success with ivermectin, then the pharmacists started trying to block ivermectin. It's really sick. It's really sick. They're trying to hurt people. They're trying to kill people. Um, it's also pharmacists practicing medicine without a license. So yes, it's a hydroxychloroquine, it's ivermectin, it's budesonide, it's aspirin for clotting problems, it's oxygen. It's There are so many things that doctors can do to help you. Let me remind everybody of the CDC's own numbers. The chances of surviving COVID without any treatment at all, if you're under 50, is 99.98%. And even between ages 50 and, and 70, without any treatment at all, is 99.5%. With treatment, it's virtually 100%. Yes, there's many options for treatment. Nobody should be living in fear over SARS-CoV-2. This is, I, I know I've asked you to repeat that several times on my show, and I appreciate your patience in doing that because I know you understand it, but I do think every time you and other doctors speak out, there are more Americans that realize Number one, they realize, wow, I, I shouldn't be as scared. I, I probably can function more regularly in my life. And number two, they start to question, well, if this is true, if what you, Dr. Gold, are saying is true, why are we, are we, are, why are we where we are in America? Why are we, why are we dealing with such shutdowns? Which I actually want to get to, but I, will, I actually want to get into what you wrote about because I think it's actually very significant. So right now, the vaccines are being pushed. The vaccines are being pushed in America um, and, and around the world. So because of they have, there's so much been, fear been generated that people are looking for something, if they, even if they've had it or if they haven't had it, looking for something. And the vaccine seems to offer uh, safety. So first, just talk generically about the, the wide swath of vaccines available. It's, I don't know, three or four manufacturers now, I believe, have one out. What, what, what is your overall assessment of the wisdom of pushing these vaccines out at this point? So unfortunately, I always have to start with the statement that I'm not anti-vaccination in any way, shape, or form. I've been fully vaccinated all of my life, and my children have been fully vaccinated all of their lives. So any attempt to say that I'm anti-vaccine is simply untrue. Now, I understand the urge to get vaccinated because we have been told for months that if we take a vaccine, our lives will normalize. And everyone who's kind of lining up for that, I believe most of them are just hungry to get back to a normal life. And I honestly wish that was the case, but it's so clear from the power power brokers that they have no intention of giving us back our normal lives, even if we get vaccinated. They've said as much. They've said that it doesn't reduce transmission, which it does not. It's not been demonstrated to reduce transmission. It's not been demonstrated to reduce hospitalization. It's not been demonstrated to reduce death. Dr. Fauci himself, you know, has said you have to still go on and wearing a mask and he doesn't know if you can hug people. So the urge to get vaccinated um, in an attempt to get back your normal life, you must know is misguided. You should only make the decision to get vaccinated if it makes scientific sense for you or your loved ones. What does that mean? First of all, are you in a high-risk category from SARS-CoV-2 progressing to COVID-19? If you're under 70 without comorbid conditions, you're simply not in a high-risk enough category to justify taking an experimental anything. If the lethality doesn't exist, why would you ever subject yourself to something that's unknown? That's where we are right now. It's too new to say we understand all of the potential problems. So America's Frontline Doctors feels came out with a statement saying you should only consider the vaccines if you yourself are in a high risk category. So, you know, there's two kinds of groups. There's the new technology, mRNA vaccine technologies, that's Moderna and Pfizer. And there's the more traditional type, which is Johnson & Johnson. Um, there are some differences between the two, but the main thing to know right now is that Moderna and Pfizer are the only ones that are really available on the marketplace right now. And there've been a lot of problems shown up already. There's kind of the traditional problems we see in small numbers with vaccines, which is the neurologic problems like Guillain-Barre or Bell's palsy, terrible cases of transverse myelitis, et cetera. You can also go into VAERS, Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System maintained by the government, and you can track the deaths that are t related in time to receiving the COVID-19. They're very alarming. I don't know if you know this, Debbie, but the VAERS numbers of deaths of people who've taken the COVID-19 vaccine, let me share with you. There have been, I looked this morning, 660 deaths related in time to the COVID-19 vaccines where a doctor or nurse felt it was at least possibly related. In the same time period, there have been about 25 deaths due to the influenza vaccines. There have been about 50 million COVID-19 vaccines 
distributed, and there's been about 150 million influenza vaccines. That makes the COVID-19 vaccines 100 to 130 times more likely to be closely associated with death than the influenza vaccine. So our point at America's Frontline Doctors is that the media needs to be reporting on this information. You may decide it's for you. However, you should be informed and you have a legal right to be informed of these risks of these new vaccines. Dr. Gold, the numbers you just read gave us, I was trying to take notes. These are numbers in America, not worldwide. Yes, let me say it again, it bears repeating. The VAERS database, which is maintained by the CDC for 35 years, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting mm -hmm. System, anyone can use it, it's fairly simple. You can put input the vaccine that you're curious about, in this case, COVID-19, and you can input the time frame, and you can see as of today, there have been 660 deaths that are related to, or related in time to the COVID-19 vaccines where a doctor or nurse felt it's possible that the death was related to the vaccine, 660. In that same time period, about 50 million COVID-19 vaccines were given. In the same time period, there've been about 25 deaths that were somewhat related in time to the influenza vaccines. And there've been three times the number of influenza vaccines given. When you do the math, that's more than a hundredfold higher risk of getting COVID-19 than influenza vaccines. I'm not saying it's caused by the vaccine, but I'm not saying that it's not. What we know is that it's the best early warning system we have. The numbers of deaths in people who've taken the COVID-19 vaccine is very, very high compared, for example, to the numbers of deaths of people who've taken the influenza vaccine. It's an absolute fact based on the government's own data in VAERS, 100 times higher than influenza. Actually, that is amazing because I read all the time and I have not seen it laid out so clearly. As no I one reports here. it. No, I will show you, Debbie, myself offline, how you can look at the numbers yourself. It's quite easy. Yeah, I actually, for some reason, looked up, uh, probably early on in this whole discussion with COVID-19, looked up on that that um, website that tells you about the impact of vaccines. And uh, and I was surprised actually it was available. Uh, and one other really small point related to that, I'll be very clear that about something there's 660 cases in which the person, a doctor or nurse, concluded that a death following the uh, receipt of a vaccine was uh, was likely related, or if it was likely or may have been related. But these, so this is eliminating cases where someone uh, had some comorbidity or some other problem where, uh, or, or got hit by a car or whatever, you know, fell off a ladder. I mean, these, this, this is not taught, this is not random Death right. So let me yeah. let me be really clear. It's an adverse event reporting system where a doctor or nurse calls in or, or emails. They're concerned that the person in front of them could have died from this thing. So there's no adjudication of it if it's definitely from it or not. But whatever the standard is, it's the same for influenza as it is for COVID-19. Some medical professional thought it was at least conceivable that it was related. I've personally gone in and looked at the the, some of the cases, I haven't looked at all 660, but they do seem related. You know, a person's healthy and then they drop dead or a person's healthy and then they have a severe allergic reaction. Again, it's not proof of causation, but there is a correlation that needs to be examined. And the problem is that scientists are not talking about it and the media is not talking about it. We're just saying, look at the data. The data is there. Okay, so this is a great segue over to the report that the Americans Frontline Doctors put out. I mentioned a moment ago. It's called AFLDS, American Frontline Doctors, White Paper, Civil Liberties Surrounding Medical Experimentation. One premise of your paper is that because all of these vaccines are relatively new, there is not the research, not the proof of efficacy that has in the past been required before we widely distribute a vaccine. And in this case, are you actually calling all the vaccines which are presently available, fall in the category of experimental? It's not me, it's not America's Frontline Doctors. All of the COVID-19 vaccines are currently in investigational stages only. There are two front runners, Moderna and Pfizer. They will be in trials until October 31st, 2022, or, or October 28th and January 31st, 2023, respectively. They're in trials. They're investigational stages only. It's an absolute fact. Johnson & Johnson will be in trials until a little later than that. that. That's what they are. That's their legal status. So this notion, I want to have you just, uh, just spread it out a little bit, uh, talk about a little bit more. There is a common understanding in medicine has been for decades, and Evie mentioned since the Nuremberg trials, the idea that 
the forced imposition of experimental medications is is per se considered unethical. Can you talk about that? Yes. So it's it's unethical. It's not done by any civilized nation, and it's actually illegal. So you know, following the Nazi war trials of where doctors participated in extraordinarily unethical behavior. Um, Nuremberg Code was developed, which laid out 10 principles of when a human being could agree to be experimented on. The most important factor is that the human being needs to agree. There can be absolutely no coercion, no force, no duress, nothing. Based on the Nuremberg Code, then we have the Declaration of Helsinki. These are accepted worldwide. The UN accepts it. The World Health Organization accepts it. And it's been codified in federal law. For example, federal law 21 USC section 360 BVV-3 prohibits um, anyone being um, required to, it says the FDA has authorized the emergency use and anyone has an option to accept or refuse the vaccine. Also, at the regular August 2020 CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices meeting, in August 2020, held at the CDC in Atlanta, the executive secretary of the CDC, Amanda Cohen, Dr. Amanda Cohen, stated, quote, I just want to add that I want to remind everybody that under an emergency use authorization, vaccines are not allowed to be mandatory. Early in the vaccination phase, individuals will have to consent and they will not be able to be mandated. That is per the CDC, per federal law, per the Nuremberg Code, per the Declaration of Helsinki, it's settled law cannot be mandated anything under an emergency use authorization. There was an article published to this effect in Stat Magazine, which is a pharmaceutical magazine. I tweeted about it yesterday. Okay, I must tell you, this is extremely helpful. I love your information, so clear. I'm glad you laid all that out. So in America, people say, well, no one's mandating the vaccine. I mean, you know, that we're making it available. We're telling people you're probably safer. Everybody ought to be thinking about this. But there is talk already in Washington about the idea that maybe vaccine status or your, your, your immune status with respect to COVID should be something taken into consideration with respect to whether or not you can travel. I mean, there was also a, uh, some statement out of Biden, and you, I, I can hardly hold anything he says because I don't know what he, if he knows what he's saying, but he has some statement about consideration about, you know, you got to have people involved in travel. You got to make sure they, they are they are not spreading it. I don't know what he was trying to get at, but would you agree that the standard you're describing from the Nuremberg trials and Helsinki declaration, all of that adds up to that any, not just, and obviously any mandate is not permissible, but any condition placed in the freedom of the American citizen to travel based on vaccination status is also impermissible under this under the Helsinki and Nuremberg uh, yes. standard. Yes, it's it's you as you know you're a lawyer, Debbie. I can tell because mm -hmm. the question you're asking is the is the million dollar question. Right. Let me read for the listener what the definition of mandate or forced is under the Nuremberg Code, which is the basis for the federal law that I just read to you, the 21 USC co, um, section 360 BBB. Um, it comes from this, the Nuremberg Code, uh, section one. The person involved must have the legal capacity to give consent, et cetera, without the intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion, and must have sufficient knowledge and comprehension of the elements of the subject matter to enable him to make an enlightened decision. This means you cannot do anything that forces. You certainly can't threaten their employment. I would absolutely argue this means you can't threaten their ability to exercise their constitutional rights, like to travel interstate, et cetera. So I, I don't think there's any possibility that an employer who tried to mandate this or a business like an airplane that tried to mandate this won't be in legal jeopardy. It's very clear. The question is what's going to happen after the EUA is eliminated. But I want to urge any business owner who's listening to this, proceed very carefully while these vaccines are in emergency use only. It's flat out against the law. I'm thrilled to hear this. And it actually may take some litigation because I think the other thing I want to segue into is the idea that even if what you're describing, and I'm, I'm sure it's 100% correct, there's political pressure on, camp on elected officials, uh, on people who are at the state level and the federal level. Some people have become so fearful 
they're really saying to the government, you need to keep me safe. And you need to keep me safe from this goofy neighbor over here who, for whatever reason, won't get a vaccination. Um, and so the government is feeling pressure to respond to concerns of citizens. But I want to get it. That is also not a justification for any mandate, even with the idea of protecting either the actual protection of safety of the neighbor or the perceived fearfulness the neighbor has that the, the uh, legislator could fix by mandating it. All of that, that's not good enough reason. Yes, our laws exist to protect the minority from the tyranny of the majority. We all have rights to bodily integrity that transcend what our neighbors or friends or family think. It's that simple. And thankfully, this is American law, it's European law, it's law virtually everywhere. It's international law. Like I said, the WHO and the UN adopt very similar standards to the Nuremberg Code. So I'm sorry if you're you're so fearful, but I, I you know it, that's a good opportunity to talk about the science of it. There is no definite proof that this experimental vaccine reduces transmission between people. This is per Dr. Fauci. He gave an interview with Newsweek about a month ago. The CDC acknowledges this on the FDA website right now. Under the vaccines, they say it's not been shown to reduce the transmission between people. So to the extent that you want to force other people to take a vaccine because you think it's going to protect all of society. The proof is not there yet. It's not there yet because we're in experimental stages only. And I want to share with you something you may not know, and I don't think your listeners will know either. The, the trials that allowed these experimental vaccines to go to market so early did not have as their endpoint the reduction of the transmission between people or even the reduction in hospitalization or death rates. This is really stunning stuff. The endpoint to call it successful was that it reduced the symptoms in the person who got SARS-CoV-2. It reduced the symptoms to more mild or moderate. I found that amazing information, which I only learned a few months ago. This is the basis upon which these vaccines are being authorized under an emergency standard that it only reduced symptoms in the person. I, I find that shocking. Don't be under the delusion that um, everyone getting this is suddenly gonna be like a magic panacea for all of society because the evidence simply is not there. I had not heard that. And after yeah. all I've read, I am as, that, that is a wonderful thing to know. Okay, I want to shift over something. Uh, and I think I mentioned to you in one of our communications, but uh, there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal in which a, a doctor was uh, from the Johns Hopkins was saying that America will have reached herd immunity by April. And he also made reference to the fact that he's saying that the uh, case numbers, the cases in, in America of COVID of coronavirus are down by 76 to 77%. So let me start with, is there any basis to believe that we could get to approach herd immunity by April? Is that right? I read that article as well. You know, let's say your listeners should be the first people to hear this. The pandemic is over. It's simply that the media won't allow people to say that. I mean, by any measure, the pandemic is over. To the extent that people get very, very sick, they have serious comorbid conditions, obesity and diabetes are most important. We have medicines that can help them. As that article reported, 77%, there's been a 77% reduction in cases. There's a lot of immunity that is not detected by a blood test. It's called T-cell immunity. We do think, you know, there was a, a, a city in Brazil where it, it showed that there was like 76% immunity in the community. You know, yes, of course. I, you know, we're, we're, at, we're very close to herd immunity or at herd immunity in some locations for sure. What accounts for this? He, uh, that was the first I'd mentioned. I'd heard someone mention a dramatic drop in numbers. He's saying the case numbers are down 76, 77%. And he actually said, I, he, well, let, he, go ahead. Let me tell you what I found. I, I found that very interesting as well. So first of all, as you probably know, they redefined what was a positive case uh, a few days after Joe Biden came into office. They started saying a single Nothing political positive. there. Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> they started, they redefined what created a positive case um, a few days after President Biden came into office. So I do think that's part of the reason it dropped. However, take note that those single positive PCR tests were really not clinically important anyway. They were either not clinical cases, they were not real, or it was maybe dead virus, et cetera. So I really think this pandemic has really been over for a long time and we're just sort of acknowledging it. So part of that is because they changed the definition of what it was a positive case. Absolutely. And I'm sorry, I didn't, I never want to interrupt you. I'm sorry. The, the other thing that he said I thought was interesting was he kind of, uh, just to kind of uh, jump out against what he anticipated response, he said, and this is not due to the prevalence of vaccines in the country. It's not because so many are vaccinated that that accounts for it. So you're saying it's actually this number he's reporting is just kind of the ongoing 
we're already moving past the pandemic. We're already past it. This is just an announcement of it. Okay, so that's that's good news, right? Anything else to add to that? Because I have next other question. Yeah, no, no, no. It's I, 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 Americans need to return to being their happy, normal American lives. <laughs> oh, I know, I know it. Okay, let me ask you this then. So there's a lot of discussion comparing the the uh, behavior of uh, government authorities in response to COVID, and people are, are frequently contrasting the shutdown mode that still is more or less in place in California, although being lightly lifted, and then in Florida where they have been open in many ways for months. What is the answer to the question that in Florida, where they have schools been open, um, they may have mask mandates in, in high concentration areas, but for the most part, it's been very open. Uh, restaurants and bars are open. Life is open in Florida and in California, very different. What is the reason that they, those two states have very similar case rates? Right, <laughs> because lockdowns don't work. Lockdowns have never worked throughout human history. At the beginning of this pandemic, Fauci also said that lockdowns don't work. Of course, lockdowns don't work. We've known that throughout all of human history. The shame is that um, most Americans don't understand um, kind of world political history. It's well known that if you give the executive branch too much power, it will take it, it will seize it, and it will not give it up easily. So we have an executive in California that simply won't give up control over human beings. He needs to give up that control. We're so blessed that we can see in other states where you have people that are not megalomaniacs that don't take that control and hold on to it. We see that in um, Governor DeSantis, who, who said, I'm not taking control that's not mine to take over human beings' lives. Unfortunately, in states like California, Governor Newsom has taken control over people's lives and he will not relinquish that control. People need to demand um, that the executive branch gives back control that's not theirs to take. I love the way you stated that. I played a little video on this show a couple days ago from Carlsbad, California. I don't know if you ever go to Carlsbad, but we used to live in San Diego. And so we've been up in Carlsbad, cute little community, restaurants open. And it was just, a, it was a, it was an announcement. I'm not it was an announcement by the restaurant owners in Carlsbad, restaurants and kind of tourist-friendly businesses that they couldn't wait anymore. They just needed to open up. They, they didn't want to be on welfare. They didn't want to wait for a check. They wanted to run their businesses. And I think the spirit of what you're describing is people need to be challenging the authority of the executive branch to essentially, because they're really kind of functioning as a legislator and the executive branch. When they make the rule, then they impose the punishment. And the legislatures have largely been uninvolved, especially in Texas, that's true uninvolved. It's like governor issuing edicts. So that's part of that spirit that you're talking about, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, and you just have to look back in our documents that our founding fathers have written, and they comment that epidemics are an excellent way for the executive branch to yes. seize power. We know this from history, but most people don't have any idea about political history. And it's really a shame because we're seeing it unfold before our eyes. Our government is a constitutional republic, right? It, we, we have rights that exist that the governor cannot take away, yet the governor has done that. And the people who are subject to this don't know that this is against the law and they need to know this and then they need to get angry and fight back. Okay, uh, Dr. Gold, three last things. I, first of all, I'm so grateful you're available today. It's just great to see you and talk to you. Uh, number one, any other closing points you wanna make about the piece that you and your team put out, your white paper related to civil liberties? Any other quick points or? Yeah, I'd like everybody to just kind of take a look at it. I know that it's kind of maybe scary and overwhelming to see like a long document like that, but it lays out all the legal right. reasons why you and your, you know, your relatives and friends cannot be forced to take an experimental medication ever, not just in this instance, but ever, ever. So please take a look on americasfrontlinedoctors.com. We are a nonprofit. We exist really just to bring truth and to you know, combat the disinformation that's so widespread. I just love that. I love your bravery because I think, you know, the I talk all this time on the, often on the show about the idea that the, the founding ideas of America included rights, you know, as a, the Declaration of Independence precise at the very beginning. We all have rights. I always add the words simply because we were born, not because someone yeah. gave them to us, took it away, who your grandparents happen to be, because you're born. And in America, we have so assumed that will always be the case, that we'll always have this and everything will more or less stay the same. And we had panic set in in America after COVID came along last year and many people kind of submitting to what we otherwise would never have agreed to. It impacts religious gatherings. It impacts people gathering in synagogues and churches and mosques around the country. Being told you can't gather it impacts speech. It impacts normal uh, life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. And I'm loving that you are tying together your medical education and knowledge and understanding of COVID 
with your legal education, understanding the ideas that are of America's founding, and that it is time for people to recognize that government action, even in response to something that is, seems scary and, and did cause death and, and harm, but we still don't lose those fundamental rights, but we have to assert them because as you said earlier, I love that point, executive branch, historically, they get more power, they'll use it. Exactly, I can't add anything to what you've said, well said. Okay, one last thing, anything else about your book beside everyone should buy it? You know, I, I just I want to emphasize, I wrote this book so you can learn how to recognize propaganda in real time. It's worth reading. It's very short. It's a quick read. You need to teach your children. You need to teach your friends. There's a very strategic way to think that will help you recognize when the next episode comes and they try to convince you of something that's not true, how you'll know. So, so I urge people to buy it for their own benefit, not for mine. It is brilliant. And last thing, people can donate to AFLDS, American Frontline Doctors. Is that correct? Donate to support your efforts? So AmericasFrontlineDoctors.com is a nonprofit. And we we exist just to bring you information because we're so frustrated with the CDC and, you know, Big Pharma and FDA and the NIH. They're really telling you things that are not true. At the end of the day, first, you know, first and foremost, I should say, I'm a physician. My father's a physician. I had a patient in front of me who I knew I could help, and I was told by my government that I could not help that person. That's what got this whole journey started. So from there, I started allying with a lot of doctors who understand the need to bring, you know, uncensored, factually true information to the American people. We're here for you. So please, please just come join, be a member. You learn, you know, you learn so much facts. There's no bias, americasfrontlinedoctors.com. We welcome all donations, membership. And the information on that website is simply stellar. The videos, I mean, you can just sit and peruse through and you'll just leave it, spend an hour or a little more and leave it very well informed and actually much calmer because I think among the saddest things of this whole episode in America is people beginning to be fearful about living life, about connecting, loving their neighbors, spending time you know, at their friends' houses, that, that fear of their neighbor, fear of, of normal human life is so unhealthy for America. Yeah, I just want to add that um, we have a lot of videos that are under our summits, like the educational summits, and really the one that every American should watch across the world, really, is the one on fear. We have been captivated by fear, and it's holding us back. And I, I'm starting to sense now that people are, are willing to let it go because it's been a year. And I, I think people can just look around and they can see that what they've been told isn't true. But if you want the factual basis you know, for really what's going on, watch some of the videos, especially watch the fear video. There's no reason to live in fear. Um, God gave you a good immune system or whatever your higher powers that you believe in. We have good, healthy immune systems. If you have, shake off the fear and shake off the executive branch blocking you from living, you know, your God-given freedoms. Dr. Simone Gold, you are simply awesome. I think at the bottom of your our screen, to be, for people to follow you beside AFLDS, your Twitter handle is, is it just at Dr. Simone Gold? Simone Gold? Yes, and, and also on Telegram, America's Frontline Doctors. I got to get on Telegram, okay? I, gotta, I keep you shifting do. around trying to get you all do. of them. Yeah, so hard. <laughs> okay, Dr. Smogold, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. A pleasure. Great talking to you. Okay, my thank friends, you. this is a great doctor and great information she brings. I urge you to, to follow it, read it, understand it. One last quick segment today before we wrap up. I meant to mention to our listeners, we started late today. We had a variety of things going on that made it a little bit hard to start right on time. So sorry, love starting on time. But the last quick segment today, um, I called it Cuomo, which is referring to Governor Cuomo in New York, and Newsom, the California governor, and the voters' wrath. And I'll very quickly say this. It was, it's a great segue from that interview we just did with Dr. Simone Gold into this final segment about Cuomo, Newsom, and voter wrath or I, I should have called it wrath of the voters, but what I want to say is it is vital in America to recognize that America from the very founding of our country was an extraordinary experiment in human liberty. That's the idea of America, that, that people have the right to live in freedom and that freedom and your rights come from God because you were born. And we need to have structure, we need to have laws and so we can live in safety, so people can function in safety. We need to have rules, we need to have government structure. We aren't, we aren't anarchists and we don't, you know, just kind of, we don't have law of the jungle. We have law of civilized, intelligent, informed man, but rooted in the freedoms guaranteed in the Western civilization. This whole episode the world has dealt with over the last year the COVID virus, the, the, um, you know, the, the pandemic, all that we dealt with over the last year has really um, worked its way 
into some aspects of society, some elements of society, where we're willing to say, because I've become so fearful, I, I just want the government to tell me what to do and to tell everyone else what to do and to keep me safe. And I want to say about the idea of government, the, jo the government's job is not to keep you safe. It is to provide national defense safe from your invading armies of some other countries. You have a military to protect us in safety. But the, the job of the government is not to keep you safe in everyday life. It's not to make rules about, you know, make sure everybody flosses three times a day and brush your teeth and get regular checkups. They don't dictate the safety of your health. That is not the government's job. And if you begin to concede it's the government's job, there's no end to the number of rules, regulations, new policies, you know, whether it is how often you must floss, how often you must get a physical examination, you know, whether you should exercise more, whether you should have certain benefits withheld from you because you don't seem to exercise enough. We don't want the government to keep our health safe. We want information from the government, but we don't want the government to have the role of keeping us safe health-wise. Information, yes. Keeping us safe through mandates and rules, no. So back to what happened in, in New York with Governor Cuomo. Everyone's well aware there was a time where early on, they, uh, New York was hit hard by COVID and they had a lot of um, people concerned, of course, and it's before much of the information now known by doctors around the country about the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, budesonide, other treatments. Before doctors knew about those treatments and how efficacious they were, how, how they really could help people, there were hospitalizations, which was the path you kind of went to the hospital, you got tested, you told you're positive, sent home, hope you get better soon. And then those who didn't get better soon uh, were sent back to the hospital when they were very, very ill and then put into, often put into a uh, situation where they couldn't get out when they wanted to. They were, put, they were forced onto the breathing machines, which it, they learned later was the cause of death, that the machines themselves intended to supposedly help were the cause of death. And so in New York, they had, um, in fairness to Governor Cuomo at the beginning, they were panicked and they had a lot of deaths going on. Having said that, you know, because there were many people in the hospitals who they didn't want them to infect others, they had all sorts of people trying to figure out what to do about people who were, you had, you know, hospitals overrun, a small number of hospitals overrun. And so you had President Trump, uh, I can't find the name of this ship if I can get it quickly enough, but President Trump sent up a U.S. Navy ship into the New York Harbor to offer, it's a, it was a Navy hospital ship called the USNS Comfort, sent up to New York so that the hospitals overrun with patients wanting to prevent the spread of contagion, needing to relieve the pressure on the overrun facilities were offered this federally government provided U.S. Navy ship comfort to take people out of the hospitals and put them on this ship as a way to, to help with, the, with the, the rush of people who were suffering. I don't have the numbers in front of me. It's either true that the comfort, the U.S. Navy ship provided by President Trump at record speed was not used at all, or else it was used very, very little. I mean, it just wasn't used, and the ship turned around and left shortly thereafter because it wasn't being used. But Governor Cuomo, because of the pressure in uh, on the hospitals, made the policy decision to remove people in hospitals who are senior citizens and send them back to nursing homes where if you're listening to Simone Gold or anybody else providing information, you understand these people in their senior years, many of them with some existing comorbidity, were sitting ducks, were just waiting to become infected and to die. And, you know, I, I will say, I think the Governor Cuomo's team is trying to say, well, you know, we didn't have a lot of options. And they actually had the naval ship option, but that wasn't viable, I guess, for everyone. But right now, what you're having voters, I, I call this the voters' wrath, in New York, the, the voters are learning that actually Governor Cuomo and his team lied to the people, lied to the federal government um, 
over this, um, over what they did, trying to claim that their policies didn't really result in, in very many deaths. And they, in fact, there was a person who works for Cuomo whose name I'm going to find. She was on a call uh, with the uh, government and she was on a call and she said, yeah, actually, you know, we lied. We withheld information from the government about the number of people who died. They had given out the number 8,500. Okay, finally got her name. Secretary, a secretary to the governor, her name is Melissa DeRosa, during a video conference uh, with state Democratic leaders in which she said the Cuomo, Cuomo administration lied. They had rebuffed a legislative request for the tally in August because it, right around that time, they were being asked to give numbers to the Trump administration, and they didn't want to do that, so they lied. So the actual number of senior citizens who died in New York at the hands of the policy by Governor Cuomo, he originally admitted to 8,500, which is an enormous number, among, among a population which have a much higher you know, death rate than younger people, but still 8,500, and the actual number was more like 15,000, so almost double. And they lied about it. So this is now something Governor Cuomo is under investigation for. And at the same time, he, Cuomo, is the one who was a recipient of numerous statements by Anthony Fauci of the brilliance, about the brilliance with which Cuomo handled the crisis in New York. And I raise that for one or two reasons. One is, if you think that Anthony Fauci isn't political, you need to think again. This policy of taking senior citizens who were infected with COVID out of the hospitals and into nursing homes where they infected fellow nursing home residents killed off 15,000 New Yorkers. This is a policy nobody with an honest commitment to the healthcare industry, to truth, would even think of saying. But Fauci has been praising Cuomo all along. You know, you ought to get, you know, I, I, he had a bunch of quotes. I didn't dig them up, but a bunch of quotes praising Cuomo. Voters now saying, hey, wait a minute. You know, we got lied to here. Cuomo was actually usually on the short list of people, the Democrats saying, you know, he might be a good candidate to run as a Democrat next time for the presidency in 2024. I'm telling you, I, I think his goose is cooked on this. This was a horrible policy and a lot of commentary about the idea that that when you are doing that and you're Cuomo you realize that senior citizens are very vulnerable we protect them all the time people especially in nursing homes with comorbidities with with, Ill, with uh, illnesses of various kinds we protect them all the time and yet he sent these folks infected with COVID from the hospital to the nursing homes where the, the result was catastrophic and a lot of commentary is being put out there now about the idea that in some people's worldview, and maybe Cuomo's, I don't know him, but the mindset, well, if you're going to infect somebody, you know, these seniors, they're, they're kind of on their way out in life anyway, like not valuing the lives of every single person, including senior citizens. So Cuomo enduring the wrath of the voters. And by the way, this is bad enough that Cuomo did that, but he's also, it's very interesting, um, he is part of, the, he's uh, being criticized also because he's still in lockdown mode. He's still in, you know, making, he made a big announcement, Governor Cuomo did, uh, as though he was, you know, the, the king bequeathing on the people of New York City the right to do things. He announced, I think, a Monday of this week, yeah, no, this past Friday, he announced that he was going to give the people of New York City the right to engage in indoor dining at restaurants, raising it from 25 to 35% capacity permitted. This is, I, I talked about this show, and, and we're going to do another show tomorrow, talking about the, the tyranny mindset that takes hold in people who think the job of the executive branch and the job of the government is to control people rather than to, to inform them, rather than to pass laws, keep people informed, and allow people to live their lives out, their version of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. When you're a leftist, your job is control, and any leftist giving any amount of control will always take more. So the last San Cuomo, he announced in New York City that the lucky New Yorkers are now allowed to eat out inside so long as the restaurant keeps it to 35% capacity. You know, he's just, he can't get over that tyranny mindset. He can't change. This is what he thinks his job is. Okay, and one last quick point on Governor Newsom in California. Oh, by the way, 
uh, I told about the story. I showed a little video from Carlsbad, and I got an email from a listener saying, hey, love your show. I live in and with some other beach community in California, and you know we're open too. You should say our, our name too. I'm going to find, if you're listening today, I'm going to find that email again. I get a lot of emails, but I'm going to try to find that because I love that someone's saying, hey, wait, we're open too. I think what you're going to see over the next several months in America is more and more people asserting that spirit of America, that spirit of the idea, we live in America and we are a free country. And in America, because we're a free country, we are allowed to pursue our version of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And we're not going to sit home in our cells, in our homes with two masks and goggles and a face guard beside, beside that and wait and be told whether or not we're allowed to go out. People are learning the facts. People are waking up and recognizing whatever the motivated the original COVID policy that resulted in lockdowns and shutdowns was motivated by, at the, if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, the very beginning, first couple weeks, we didn't understand the issue. We didn't understand we had efficacious treatments. We're a year later, folks. We're coming up on one year since this lockdown started. And we still have people like Governor Cuomo in New York, Governor Newsom in California, thinking that they're going to decide who gets to go where and when and how many people can be together. So I'll tell you two last quick things on Newsom and then we'll wrap it up for today. One is he gave a press conference, I think yesterday. Newsom gave a press conference in a restaurant near his office in Sacramento that isn't allowed to be open. No one else can go there. Customers can't go there. It's not that he didn't endanger anybody because there's nobody there except the camera crew and you know a few people who work for him. But the mindset is, I keep the little people out of this, the peasants out there that I control, they can't come here. This restaurant owner, he can't run his business, but I, the governor, I can show up and man, I'm gonna have a press conference here and I'm allowed to do this. So I actually, and, and the last thing on, 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 excuse me, on Governor Newsom in California is, it's such a state of hypocrisy out there. The people in California are sick of the shutdowns. The people with a spirit of freedom, the people with a spirit of, I wanna live life again. So there is a petition you're likely hearing about, a petition in California to actually recall the governor. And the petition requires, and I have the happy numbers here, uh, the petition requires pretty much 1.5 million signatures to get it on the ballot to say, the people of California want to recall this governor. It requires basically 1.5 million signatures, they, or slightly less than 1.5 million. They have 1.7 million, but the government is now reviewing those signatures. And I just think it is just kind of a great thing to keep in mind, the hypocrisy through the roof. California doesn't even check voter ID. California, I, I mean, they are known for their lax effort at election integrity, they are known for permitting people to vote in some jurisdictions who are not citizens. They are known for mocking election integrity, mocking voter ID. And so they are, you know, they are just gonna let anybody and their brother vote, period. All sorts of allegations, very viable allegations of election fraud in California. And nobody's checking signatures saying, hey, wait a minute, you're not even a citizen. Why are you voting? But this one, to get Newsom, withdrawn as governor? Yeah, all of a sudden they've discovered their editing pen, they've discovered their capacity to closely review every signature, and they've actually discovered so far reviewing all the signatures and making sure that the signature matches an actual citizen of California and all that. Um, they have found an 84% rate of the signatures were valid, which they are reporting as a very high rate. So Newsom just may be on the ballot this fall. The people in California are deciding if they want to live under tyranny or freedom. I shall not make a prediction of how that would come out if they get it on the ballot. But I will say hearing that spirit of freedom of the people of California is a great thing. At the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our day today talking about Biden and COVID progress. Biden election touted as arrival of new COVID competence. But so far, no money to anyone, no money to help small business, 
No school reopening. That's a whole other story we could do about all the back and forth on school reopenings. More mask mandates. Two masks are better than one. Bizarre giggling. New CDC director promises dark future. Vaccination won't stop masks and social distancing and limits on travel. Don't be thinking you're going anywhere. We're keeping you shut down. Yet, COVID cases dropping globally by more than 75%, increasing medical confirmation of therapies and remedies other than vaccines. An expert predicts herd immunity by April 2021. You heard Dr. Simone Gold say we're already there and Americans are getting restless. Soon the one year anniversary of two weeks to flatten the curve is coming and Americans have had enough. And we also talked about Cuomo and Newsom and the wrath of the voters. And that last slide, that second slide um, is Cuomo uh, secretary admits to lying about death figures to fend off federal scrutiny. 8,500 deaths reported instead of the actual number of 15,000. This is in the nursing homes. Nursing homes, senior citizens taken to these homes by their families to keep them safe and protected. Cuomo refused to use the, the uh, U.S. Navy's comfort ship but put sick people back in the retirement homes, no GOP governor would survive politically after such recklessness. Cuomo orders New York restaurants can next week reopen to 35% instead of 25% for indoor dining. New Yorkers are stirring. Do they want a government allowed to say a business may be open only 35% or 25% or do they want a government to stay out of it? Newsom recall now has more than 1.7 million signatures only 1.5 required by March 17th. Historic hypocrisy. Newsom team validating every signature after an election where signature verification was ignored by Democrats in order to facilitate cheating. Americans are chafing at restrictions on their freedom. They know COVID policy is mostly about politics and little about science. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America Can We Talk, truth about America.